0: Episode 67 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C., and with me is Nathan Fox in...
1: I'm in Los Angeles. I'm about to head north for a couple weeks.
0: Cool. Anything uh, new since we last talked?
1: Just busy season. People are uh, grinding away for the September LSAT. So I've had uh, yeah, lots of tutoring students, uh, people signing up for the online class, in-person classes are filling up. Uh, yeah you sounds like you're probably pretty busy too huh?
0: Both classes are in full swing uh as well as the the online version and uh yeah it's pretty lots of emails trying to get back to everybody. I know <laughs> last time we talked about me turning off my email on my phone. I did not do that the whole week uh it was hard to resist, but overall, I think it was a it was a good step i'm just sort of trying to make email more of like a, an isolated task, as opposed to sort of an omnipresent reality, you know? yeah,
1: so you said you did not do that. you mean you didn't turn it back on you you 've got you 've got email on your phone off, is
0: that right? Well, I had it off, and i i didn't stick with that the oh, whole week <laughs> I see, <laughs> so there were definitely times where I turned it back on and felt the need to get back to people uh that had been probably waiting too long. And there are probably even some people right now that have been waiting too long. But uh, overall, though, I think it's um, better because then when I do sit down to do email, it's like a thing. I sit down and get it done as opposed to um, you know seeing some email and then being like, oh, I can't get back to this now because it's more involved. And then coming back to it again and maybe again later.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about inbox zero on the show, haven't we? Mm -hmm. My productivity tip is just basically, you know, you're not allowed to leave things festering in your inbox. And um, when I really stay on top of that, it helps me to be really, really productive. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do fall into the trap myself of checking my email too frequently. And then when you check it really frequently, then it's easy to just say, oh, well, yeah, I can't get to that right now. So I'll just leave it there for mm-hmm. a minute. But now you're, you're actually violating the <laughs> inbox zero idea. The people who do like the extreme inbox zero, uh, a lot of them will only check email once a day. Yeah, or maybe twice a day. But yeah. a lot of times once a day, and then people get crazy with it, where they'll, they'll actually only check email once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. when they do look at email, then it becomes like, a, okay, I am processing my inbox all the way down to zero now. And yeah. it's, it's like going to the post office and emptying out your, you know, your mailbox. Yeah. And then filing, you know, okay, I can deal with this right now. I'm going to deal with this right now. This one, I can't deal with it right now, but I'm not going to put it back into my mailbox. I'm going to put it in a, you know, it's got to go on a to-do list or in a, it's got to go somewhere else besides my incoming messages.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. I'm torn because I simultaneously want to get back to people as quickly as possible but I also, yeah, I mean, it's easy to let email overrun your life. So, I don't know. We'd I'd love tips from listeners, huh? If people have, like, ideas about how they deal with it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a universal problem, I'm assuming. I do think, to your point about Inbox Zero, precisely because that is a, a good goal and a goal, I think, that I want to strive for, uh it helps to not check it, you know, on your phone until you're like committed to, I'm going to actually deal with each and every one of these. Uh, and this is the time to do it.
1: Yeah. I, I'm, I have like a hybrid approach right now, you know, I'm, okay. I'm look, cause I'm almost zero. Like I just, I just clicked over and looked at my inbox. Um, I have four messages in my inbox right now and I have read all of them. Mm-hmm. And each of them require little tasks. There were things that I couldn't do when I was out and about, but I have to do them now. Like for example, I have to print postage for a couple things and like bring some boxes to the post office for my online yeah. class. Yeah, and those are you know if I look at that on the road on, from my phone or if I look even from my laptop when I'm not at home and I can't actually do this postage thing, then I, I can't do them right now. And I know I'm not supposed to use my inbox as a to do list, but I just leave them in my inbox and I just do them. I deal with it when I get home. Yeah. And I have a couple other items on there too, where it's like, okay, these are not going to take a long time, but I have to wait for whatever reason. I have to wait a minute to do these. Mm -hmm. And so I'll let them sit in the inbox for some time, you know. But the problem is, if I let it sit there for more than a day, then I'm more inclined to leave other stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, I've got 50 messages in my inbox Yeah, and I just can't live like that. I mean, I don't know how people have two, you know, 20,000 emails
0: in their (laughs) inbox. I don't, yeah, that's like, at that point you're not processing any of that. So you're just picking and choosing, I think, things that come to the top.
1: Yeah. I mean, my recommendation in that situation is to just go ahead and, um, you know, respond to the things that have come in in the last 24 hours and then archive everything else.
0: Yeah, just just, because no one you're not going to respond to them anyway. No,
1: they're going to keep getting buried. So, get back to zero. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. I mean, I'm addicted to it when I get it going. When I'm like really feeling the inbox zero thing, Mm -hmm. that little message that pops up in Gmail when it says, you know, you have nothing in your inbox. (laughs) Yeah,
0: would you like to read the news? It's awesome. (laughs) It's
1: just like, yes, and it's a good feeling. And it certainly does help me to be just, you know, more productive. The The one thing I don't do at all is I don't even have a to-do list. I mean, I have a to-do list, but I never look at it. Hmm. So yeah. I have a calendar, which I look at all the time and I have my inbox. And then I just, I just can't find a to-do system reminder system that actually works. Mm. So mm-hmm. then I sometimes lean on my inbox, like I'll let something stay there for a minute, which I, I probably shouldn't do, but. I don't know. It is what it is. I'm doing the best with my limited <laughs> skills, you know.
0: Wait, Nathan, are you feeling bad about something?
1: No, I'm not feeling. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm wishing that I was more. Uh, you know, I wish I was more productive than I
0: am. Oh. oh okay. I don't know. It just it just doesn't seem to be fitting of your character to have this regretful air. I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to <laughs> get sympathy or have people feel sorry <laughs> for me or whatever. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm on the edge of, of actually really being productive and I just never somehow quite get there. So,
0: that's all. <laughs> I think you're you're very productive. Look at every all the people you're helping to prepare for the test.
1: I suppose yeah, it's just like, you know, I feel like the Wizard of Oz when you I think if you saw what was going on <laughs> behind the curtain you'd be like jesus christ really that's the way you're actually doing everything um i i do understand that uh sometimes i can appear as if i have my shit together but i assure you i do not
0: okay good to know good to know now that's public yep um, hey, so I finished *Chaos Monkeys* by Antonio Garcia Martinez, I believe, if I remember correctly. Cool. It was an awesome book. Um, basically, he was a uh, entrepreneur in the Valley. That's uh, the Silicon Valley. He was in uh, into. Let's see, what was he doing? He was making an an ad company, and then he got swept into Facebook. And the whole story is about his stint at Facebook, which was about two years, and uh, what he helped uh, try to do there, and how he ended up ultimately getting fired, and just his whole experience. But the book was, one, entertaining, and two, just very, at least insightful for me, about how Facebook makes money, but not just Facebook, all these other big websites that are free to us and, uh, how they collect our data and what the motivation is behind that and how they use that data to then sell our consumer interests to marketers and so forth. It, it's just, it's very, very fascinating on that level as well. So the whole book was just totally easy to devour in a week and a half or whatever. So I cool. highly recommend it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great recommendation. I'll read anything, you know, as long as it's as long as it's well done. Um, I'll read just about anything. So that's excellent.
0: Cool. So today we have a lot of emails from students that we'll go through, and then at the end we'll try to get through a logical reasoning question from the June two thousand and seven LSAT. Did you want to say anything about these emails before we jump into them, or?
1: Uh no. There are a variety of topics. We've got a letter about applying early. We got a thing about reading the question stem first and a thing about whether to register for the September twenty sixteen test. I'm sure we'll find all sorts of issues. So let's just dive in, I think.
0: Sure. So let's let's go to this first one from uh Josh, who had an interesting experience with his pre-law advisor. Do you wanna read that or Sure. It says, Hi. Random
1: thing came up, but I didn't know who else to ask, so I wanted to check in with you. I emailed my pre-law advisor, asked him a question about my transcripts. He emailed back, and this was in his first paragraph, quote, First, you should think about whether or not you want to retake the LSAT. The score that you received was fairly good. Retaking the exam risks having a lower score, something that schools will not look at favorably. It is your decision, but one you should consider carefully. Josh says... I was surprised, confused, and almost offended at the tone of the email. I really don't know why Josh would be offended here, but surprised and confused, I agree with. Um, I'm studying again to take in September because of my understanding of the test finally became more crystal clear in the last week or so, and it seemed to me that this advisor was leaning towards discouraging a retake. I believe I can score higher, and even if I don't, I was under the impression that generally no law school's average LSAT scores. I was somewhat surprised at the conflicting reports, especially coming from my quote official pre-law advisor. I just wanted to make sure retaking again would not be looked upon, not be looked down upon by law schools. Thanks, Josh. What do you think?
0: Well, I wish Josh would have provided his LSAT score, but barring some extraordinarily high score like 175 or something like that. I would say you should, you should retake it if you're thinking that you're going to go higher. Uh, the exception would just be that extremely high score where, yeah, maybe it'd be better just to pack it away and go with that even if you think you can get a 180. So extremely unlikely case and I find this email a little surprising.
1: Well, there's no way it's 175, right? Because otherwise this person wouldn't have written the score that you received was fairly good. Yeah. I mean, 175 is extraordinary. And, you know, if you got a 175, you just don't need to retake the LSAT no matter what. Yeah. Um, I don't care how many 180s you got on your practice test scores. I I just don't know that it's worth to retake from a 175. You're already 99.9th percentile. Yeah. What I wanted to say about this was that um, pre-law advisors generally vary in quality, <laughs> widely vary in quality. Mm-hmm. So I've heard great advice from pre-law advisors and I've heard horrible advice from pre-law advisors. Yeah. So this seems like pretty bad advice from the pre-law advisor. Not not knowing anything deeper here. We don't know what Josh's practice test scores are and we don't know what Josh's score is on record. But yeah. making up numbers, if Josh got a 165, and Josh sometimes scores 168 or 169 on his practice tests, Mm -hmm. then Josh should absolutely retake the LSAT. Yeah. Or if Josh got a 155 and sometimes scores 159 on a practice test, then Josh Mm -hmm. absolutely should retake. Yeah. Because most schools, almost every school, is going to look at just your highest LSAT score, no matter what they say. Yeah. And... If there's a chance that you're going to score three or four points higher, the benefit there, you know, they now you're a whole different candidate. Four more LSAT points, you're like a different person mm-hmm. in the eyes of the schools. And if you take it again and you score a few points lower, one, that shouldn't happen if your practice test scores indicate you're capable of higher. Then why are you going to score lo- lower? Yeah. And two, even if you do score a few points lower the downside is is limited they're they're still going to look at your highest score which is the score you already have on record yeah so generally you know i'm sorry i i know your pre-law advisor is a well-meaning person but they don't necessarily know what they're talking about and so you should i think you got to trust us that um (laughs) retaking makes a lot of sense if there's a credible chance that you're going to do better yeah is that it that's it okay cool yeah. Thank you, Josh. Good luck. Retake it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're scoring like five points lower than the score you have on record, in which case don't retake it. Yeah. But if you're if you've got a really solid chance at scoring higher, I I absolutely would take it again and I would take it a third time if necessary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh next letter. Cool. This is to you. Uh this one was yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um hi Nathan. My name is Tamara Oh wait. Probably don't want to say last name. I don't have permission to say Let's say Tamara.
0: Which may or may not be her name.
1: Yeah. That <laughs> that would be a great fake out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's totally not Tamara. <laughs> I have been listening to your Thinking LSAT podcast and I have really enjoyed it. I took the LSAT for the first time this past June and am retaking it in September. I'm applying to SMU as my top choice and the deadline for early decision is November 15th. I was wondering if you recommend I submit everything to them before I hear back about my September LSAT score, or if it wouldn't matter whether I submitted September 25th, that's the day after the LSAT, or late October once I hear back about the score. I'm hoping to submit everything as soon as possible to be more competitive for admission and scholarships. Thank you again for your awesome podcasts.
0: Um, someone other than Tamara? (laughs) Yeah, so she should definitely wait. Uh, Anne Levine has said this, and I'm just going to defer to her, but I think it makes 100% sense, and that is wait. I mean, as long as you apply before Thanksgiving, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of difference between applying then and applying, you know, on September 25th or even now, so wait until you get your score so you can then benefit from having that score. And I, I think, from what I understand, if you, if she applies now and she is taking the September LSAT, I think they know that and they're going to reach out to her and say, hey, do you want us to consider your application now with your current score or do you want us to wait and consider your application once your LSAT score comes in? So. Uh, at that point, you're just going to have to make the same decision, which is no wait. And then they're just going to consider it later.
1: The risk is that sometimes schools won't even reach out to you. You know, like if, if, if she applied now because she has a score on record, yeah, it's possible that they wouldn't even see that she's registered to take the test September 24th. Yeah. And they might just go ahead and evaluate her application with her score on record
0: but yeah, certainly. So this is why you should definitely wait. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I I would, I think it's a clear, I always say to everyone, do not apply until your score is back.
0: Yeah. I guess I was just saying that they might even, they might ask you. So there's not even like a point in putting it early and hoping for like, that's going to help you in some way.
1: Right. So the best case actually sucks, right? In the best case, Mm-hmm. They're all they're going to do is just put the application to the side and wait for your score to come in. Yeah. So and and there's the risk that they might not do that. So it seems pretty clear here that we want to wait till the score comes back and then apply.
0: Yeah. Here's the general principle. I mean, when you think about the benefits that's accrued to your application by applying early versus the benefits that come to your application by getting a higher LSAT score, your LSAT score is. In almost all circumstances, except for maybe when you're teetering between the December LSAT and the February LSAT, in almost all circumstances, your LSAT score is going to have way more of an impact. So, you know, edging out your application and getting it in a little early is is just going to undercut the benefits you'd get from a higher score.
1: Yeah, a few more LSAT points makes you an entirely different candidate. So, the entirely different candidate applying a few weeks later with a few more LSAT points is much better than the student who applied a few weeks earlier with a few fewer LSAT points. Also, Ann keeps saying that the committees aren't even really evaluating applications in September and October. You know, she says they're on the road, they're doing the um, law school fairs and all that stuff, and that they don't really start evaluating applications in earnest until like November. So that's why Ann always says the deadline is, you know, you need to think about having your applications in by thanksgiving here there's an early decision deadline that's november 15th so of course Tamara wants to get her application in before that
0: oh yeah mm-hmm. but
1: there's no point to putting it in before the september lsat score comes back presumably yeah. she thinks she can score higher on the september lsat that's why she's taking it again yeah so of course i think she needs to wait here until the scores uh come back yeah cool good luck um oh and uh you know, double check that early decision program just to make sure that it's not a binding program. If it is a binding program, remember that uh, there are risks
0: to that. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, is that good for that one? Yeah,
0: it's great. All right. So then we have farm boy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, so I'm gonna summarize this. I took my first prep test two weeks ago, scored a 142 with no prior experience or knowledge. Um, got a fee waiver using super prep two and managed to get a used copy of the LSAT trainer. The, the real question here is, um, whether to read the question stem first. So farm boy says, I practiced doing logical reasoning for about one week during doing stimulus first and kept doing awful. Then I tried to test reading the, the question stem first before the stimulus, and I got a 154, only getting five wrong for each logical reasoning section. I'm averaging mid-150s consistently now. Being someone with ADD, I found that reading the STEM first helped me focus better while reading the stimulus. This may sound odd, but for some reason, not reading the STEM first makes me have this weird mental block while I am reading the stimulus. Is it different for every person what they should read first? Maybe I'm just fucked up.
0: no you're fine
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's all right (laughs) take a deep breath will it hurt me reading the stem first in the long run um that's basically it thanks farm boy what do you think
0: yeah so i know or i think i know that you're a big fan of the reading the passage first and then the question stem and that's what i do to be fair i read the passage first i react to the passage and then i start thinking about what the question is based on whatever it says it is but i i i feel like I'm not as concerned about whether they read the passage first or the question first as I am about whether they think about the passage before they go into the answers. So in my mind, uh, whether that means reading the question and then the passage or the passage and then the question, as long as they stop at that point and start thinking about what the heck is going on and what the question is asking and therefore what they should be looking for, I am happy. And part of the reason for this is that I do have people in class who say the same thing as Farm Boy, uh, that they start reading the question first and it helps them focus. The other thing here is that when I'm explaining questions in class, the first thing I'll ask is often, what type of question is this? And people say that, and I'll say, okay, so we're trying to prove the conclusion or whatever, and then we'll start reading the passage together. And you know, it still all works out, and we have a particular goal in mind. It's not again, what I do during the test, but I don't know that I am so wedded to this idea of you have to read the passage first. Um, Yeah. Reasonable
1: minds can disagree. Um, I I do strongly think that reading the stimulus first makes more sense. Reading the passage first makes more sense and then read the stem. That's how I've always done it. I -hmm. don't really miss logical reasoning questions. So that works for me. I've rescued a million students who have thought that they were supposed to read the question stem first and then had absolutely no clue what they were doing on logical reasoning. Mm -hmm. And I've found that sometimes switching and doing it the other way can really help because I get them in a more aggressive, I'm just attacking the argument mindset. And once you know how to attack the argument, then you can answer whatever question they ask you. Yeah. Um, What I would say to farm boy is, hey, if it works for you, keep doing it, that's it. You know, if it's working great, it's not what I would teach. Is it the best in the long run? I don't know. You know, you're, you're getting five wrong on each logical reasoning section. Okay. That's okay. Why are you missing those? You know, can you figure that out? Yeah. And I don't know whether reading the STEM first is helping you or hurting you. I I would say though that this, you know, this experiment that farm boy ran is very small sample right? So, so farm boy did logical reasoning for a week and sucked at it, then started doing the STEM first and got better. Okay. But this is also at the very beginning of his practicing and he probably was getting better no matter what he did.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I wouldn't attribute, you know, correlation does not mean causation. Yeah. And so I, I don't think we could just attribute his, um, Improvement to the reading the stem first If yeah. you think it works for you Great, you know Why Why fix something that's not broken Yeah That said, you still have room to improve And I would question Whether the reading the stem first is actually helping you I just don't know
0: No, I agree 100% And I think that um, the people out there And this is why I read the passage first But people out there Who read the question stem And then I think too narrowly focus on yep. something as they go through the passage as opposed to just trying to understand the passage are going to get messed up by that. But I also do think that, and this sounds like a perfect situation for Farm Boy, that if he's getting, he has ADD and he's sort of having trouble focusing at all, maybe that kick in the butt, say, hey, look, this is what you're looking for, is what he needs to then focus on the passage and understand it. Um, I guess.
1: I mean, you know, I, I just, again, I, like, I can't, I just can't leave it. I, I can't, I wish I was able to just, like, let reasonable minds disagree on this, even though I said that, but I don't really believe it. I, okay, that's fine. You, you should,
0: know, Yeah, we want to hear what you have to say.
1: <laughs> thanks, Ben. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like he reads the he reads the question stem and it says which one of the following most accurately states the main conclusion of the argument. Oh, so I'm looking for the main conclusion. Well, no shit, you're supposed to be looking for the main conclusion. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're yeah. supposed to be attacking the the if there's an argument, you're supposed to be attacking it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. You know, here here's another thought, and maybe this applies more to higher scorers, but. I frequently know the answer to the question before I'm even halfway done reading the stimulus. Like I I can read the first couple sentences sometimes and just be like, Oh, I have a really good idea what they're going to do here. You know, not only do I know where the argument is headed, but I know what question they're likely to ask me or what class of questions they're likely to ask me, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I already see some hole in the argument halfway through the argument and I've already got an idea what the answer is going to be. Well, you definitely can't do that from reading the question stem first. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you haven't read the argument, the stem, you, you literally cannot answer the question from just the stem, but from half the argument or from certainly from the whole argument, you should have lots of good ideas about what the answer might be Mm -hmm. because you, you should know what the evidence is and you know what the conclusion is and you know what's wrong with that and then now they can ask you to strengthen it or weaken it, but you know how to do that because you know what's wrong with the argument. Yeah. Anyway, I've said that a zillion times on the show. I'm sticking with it. I'm also sticking with, dude, if this works for you, good.
0: I would say that um, people who are struggling with logical reasoning and trying to figure out whether reading the passage first or reading the prompt first or stem, whatever you want to call it, the question itself first uh, is what you should be doing. I would say do a 35-minute section at this point in your study, not just at the beginning, and then do it one way, and then do it another way, and then don't just draw conclusions on the basis of those two sections. You can definitely have an update, (laughs) a good section and a bad section uh, that's unrelated to that. and maybe even do it again until you start to really get a sense for what seems to help you understand the um, the arguments better I, I think the ultimate goal here is to really understand the passage, know what the heck is going on before you go into the answer choices as opposed to alright let's start looking for answers that sound good which I think is a default uh, setting for most test takers at least when they're starting out yeah
1: I, you know don't I would say don't do a small sample study either. You know, it's not like, oh, do one – you just said this, but it's not – one thirty-five minute section of each is not enough. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say, you know, something like alternating 35-minute sections of one, do it one way and then do it the other way and do 10 sections of each.
0: Yeah, do it for a couple of weeks. I mean, at the very least, you're just pushing yourself to – uh you know, think about what you're doing as you're thinking about the passage and the questions uh, in different ways. And at the very least, that's going to help you become more familiar with yourself as a test taker and how you think. Yeah.
1: And just remember that one or two or even three data points is not a trend here. We, we need lots more data in order to know what's actually the best. Because it's students are just, they're so quick to say like, oh, yeah, I did jumping jacks before this test, and I got 10 points higher, so jumping jacks, that's the key. And it's like, okay, also could have just been totally random. just happened.
0: Yeah.
1: We think we are okay for that one? Yeah, I think so.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. All right, cool. So who's this from? Brett. I hope that
1: was okay to say. I think we can go ahead and assume we can say people's first names. It's just got to be silly if we can't. It says... Hello, Ben and Nathan. I just found your podcast yesterday, and I'm really enjoying the information you guys give. I have listened to six of them already. Oh, only 60 more to go (laughs) for Brett. Background, uh, graduated from the United States Merchant Marine Academy in 2010 with a 2.95 GPA. Okay, not awesome. Um... I currently work a month at sea and a month off at home, which makes it hard to schedule the LSAT. Right now I can only attend the September 2016 LSAT and the June 2017 LSAT because of my work schedule. I would like to apply for law school in 2017 to attend in 2018. All right, so he's on a boat back and forth. Doesn't have uh, the ability to just take three LSATs in a row. Sounds like he can't take the December or February um the upcoming december 2016 or february 2017 tests so he's going to have a gap in between his two possible tests yeah luckily if he's not intending to apply until 2017 he does have this september next june and also next uh, september or october
0: yeah if that works with his with his boat schedule right <laughs> so he's got
1: actually still three potentially chances at it at least two maybe three chances at it mm-hmm. so the first question is if you guys think I should register for the September 2016 test, I just started my studying process a few days ago. I took the June 2007 test and I scored a 164. Maybe stop there.
0: Yeah, well that's a great starting score, although uh, not to, to um, diminish that success. Uh, I don't understand why the LSAT has released the June 2007 LSAT as its free LSAT, because I feel like on a whole it's an easier test the games are easy in that test and so i think people take it and they get slightly inflated scores not a whole lot so maybe he's really at like a 162 on a more modern test but that's still a great score i just i don't know i just have an issue with that test being the free one
1: yeah i agree that maybe the games are a little bit easier supposedly the scoring scale adjusts for that but we've talked about that in the past. I mean, I think we're both skeptical that the scoring scales are actually really leveling out the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, 164 is an excellent score. Yeah. And I think I would probably without having any other information, I think I would maybe say, Brett, go ahead and register for the September, 2016 test. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree?
0: I agree. I, I think he should shoot for it. Uh, he's, Got to register soon, um, but at least keep that as an option open. Unfortunately, if he's not ready, then he'll lose his money if he withdraws, but at least he has the option, especially given the fact that he only has two windows right now, at least. When
1: you think about the stakes of this entire undertaking, you know, that you're going to be spending three years of your life and uh, somewhere between 100000 and
0: $200,000 mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. law
1: school. Yep. Um paying $175 to give yourself the option to take the test on September 24th is not that bad of an investment. Mm-hmm. You know, even if there's only a 50% chance that Brett's going to feel like he's really, really ready. Yeah. If he registers for the test, he gives himself the option to take it on September 24th. He can always withdraw a day or two before, when mm-hmm. you withdraw, you don't get your money back, but it also doesn't count as one of your three attempts and it doesn't show up at all on your record. It's as if it never happened, except yeah. your, your wallet is $175 lighter. Um, he might find that he gets extra motivation out of having September 24th on the calendar. Mm-hmm. He studies hard for the next six weeks. He gets his practice test scores up into the 170s. He takes the test he gets a score that's 170 something and now he's just done with the LSAT forever. Yeah. I mean, or <laughs> keep studying for another almost year for the June, 2017 test. Mm-hmm. Now I don't find the LSAT all that painful, but I know many people do. So it just seems like there's so much upside here in, mm-hmm. in possibly taking it on September 24th. Yeah. So my gut, and, and Brett acknowledges that this is a very small sample, uh, one test. And as you say, Ben, maybe this test is easier than the other ones. If he grinds away at it every day, some people just have more aptitude on this test. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you do. I do. Maybe Brett does. Yeah. I didn't study for very long. Six or seven weeks was fine for me. And I probably would have scored mid-160s on my first practice test. Yeah, So I would say it's, it's totally possible that Brett, you're just one of these fortunate ones and maybe seven weeks is plenty. And yeah, I would say, give it a shot. Sure. Then Brett asks some questions about scholarship chances and everything, you know, would it override my low GPA? And I think we just have to refer back to the last episode when we said we weren't going to really mess with those anymore um yeah look at the lsat gpa calculator and you will figure out what your chances are at any school the last question is finally any advice you could give for studying for three weeks without access to bookstores or receiving mail i thought i thought this was kind of interesting i have downloaded some test ebooks but do you suggest any websites Uh, I should have ordered the books I needed before heading to work, but I was originally planning on taking my first test in February, 2017. Then I wasn't able to take that test. Uh, Thanks for your help, Brett.
0: Well, so I have a lot of videos online that would help explain questions. The problem is he needs the test to do the problems and then figure out how to do them with the videos. So I, I, I'm, I don't know that I have any good suggestions for him right now yeah. if he does not have any official LSAT questions.
1: I, I have, a, a I think, a good suggestion, which okay. is um, he, it seems like he has internet access. Yeah. And so I wonder if he could get the Kindle version of my logical reasoning encyclopedia.
0: Oh. Because yeah. my, logic,
1: my logical reasoning encyclopedia on the Kindle version, it does include um, about 550 logical reasoning questions. With yeah. full explanations. And he says here that it looked like I think his biggest weakness. Yeah, he missed seven in each of the logical reasoning sections. Yeah. So if he could sort that out, I think he could get into the 170s. Probably um, it says he also missed six in reading comp. Uh, one tip for reading comp is to get really good at the must be true questions in logical reasoning. So it's possible that just doing my logical reasoning encyclopedia, you know, if he can get access to that, if he has a Kindle or you can also just use like the Kindle reader app on your phone Mm -hmm. and then buy Kindle books. So yeah, I mean, I think that would be 50 or $60. I'm sorry. The price is so high, but I have to pay for the stupid LSAC license fee, which is just outrageous. Yeah. So that I think is where I would go if I were Brett.
0: Yeah, that's a great suggestion.
1: And that would be definitely three weeks worth of work because that that book is you know six hundred something pages, and mm-hmm. that would give you uh, a lot to work on. So anyway, that's a self serving recommendation, but uh, just because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's an LSAT tip,
0: right? Yeah, that's a good LSAT tip. Yep. or is it? I think it is um, <laughs> <just kidding>. I, <laughs> uh, no, sorry, I'm actually that's a complete inside joke with nobody but myself, but um, so you know I have four kids, yeah, boys, and they uh they go through these like shows we we don't allow them to have much screen time well, we try we try not to, but uh, they they it's a good uh, incentive right like oh clean up your room then you can have 10 minutes of screen time and they go through these shows and l- recently they've been watching the legends of Chima which <laughs> okay <laughs> sometimes I get sucked into these shows like I'm just standing there and I'm like oh I've been watching this for 10 minutes uh, but anyways there's this very funny character and I'm gonna have to put this on the on the blog because there's a but he always says the same thing he's like this older lion in the in the series and he's always sort of giving wisdom to people but he's a little strange so people are always a little skeptical of him and whether he's really helping them or just kind of I don't know they don't really know what to think of him and so he speaks in this, this deep voice and I don't know who the actor is I, I, I'm pretty sure I've heard him in like other things uh, but anyways he always says like you could always go down to the river and get the water there. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Or could you? And so
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's like, oh, no worries. I'm not trying to hurt you. Don't worry. I'm here to help you and whatever. Or am, I. am I? Yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and just everything in his deep voice, you know. And so then now my uh, some of my kids uh, do that all the time. You know, they're eating and they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take the trash out. <laughs> or will I? <laughs>
1: That's excellent. Your two boys that I met were like the best behaved boys I have ever met, by the way. Uh, Are your other two that good as well? Or are they like the evil ones?
0: Uh, (laughs) uh, I don't know. Am I allowed to say that they're evil on the podcast? Fear that they might hear that someday and then have, you know, doubtful thoughts about themselves? No, I don't think any of them are evil. Uh, They definitely have different personalities. And I think all of them, when they are around other people... Act very reserved and different, and I I imagine that's true for a lot of kids. But I think that there was, you know, some maybe just being someone different, a little celebrity action going on there, right? Like, who is this other person? Uh, This is someone that my dad works with. Let's let's be quiet. And well,
1: (laughs) I appreciate that. That that to me is is a very solid um, definition of well-behaved and uh, I'm, I'm glad that when they take it on the road, they, um, keep themselves under control. That, that is, uh, that is excellent, great, great job on that, Ben.
0: Yeah. I don't know that I had anything to do with that, but yeah. Oh, sorry. It's
1: all your wife. Yeah.
0: That's, yeah. that's true. <laughs>
1: okay. So I think we've answered Brett's questions. Uh, good luck, Brett. Thanks for writing. I hope you're enjoying, um, whatever ocean you're on at the moment.
0: Yes. Thank you, Brett.
1: And we will now move into some June
0: 2007 questions. that sound okay? Yeah, sounds good. So let's see here. We are on question three, right, in section three, if, that's, if I remember correctly. I believe so, yeah. If you're just joining us, go ahead and Google June 2007 LSAT. This is the LSAT that uh, Brett actually took. And... It's free, so it will pop up as a PDF on LSAC.org. Go to Section 3. That's a logical reasoning section. That's where we are now. And we are on Question 3. We have done the previous questions in other episodes. So let's see here. What is Check this?
1: this out. Okay. Here's a good example of why I don't like reading the questions then first. Okay. Read this question, Stem. I mean, I can glance at it and I have a really good idea what type of question it is just by glancing at the stimulus anyway. Yeah. Because it's got two speakers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be an agree-disagree question. Yeah. But look at this question, Stem. The dialogue provides most support for the claim that Carolyn and Arnold disagree over whether the object described by Quinn as a conceptual portrait of Sir John Sulston blank How does that help you when you start analyzing Carolyn's and Arnold's statements?
0: Yeah, my hope would be that people who advocate for reading the question first would say something like, you're really glancing at the question to see what type it is, and that's it. So I would hope that people who do this would stop at the word disagree and just be like, Oh, it's a disagree question, which they probably should have already suspected, given the fact that you have two people arguing, though that's not always the case.
1: If there's two speakers, it's almost always going to be, what are they agreeing about or what are they disagreeing about or what did the second speaker do in response to the first, right? It could be one of those uh, strategy questions, strategy argumentation
0: questions. It does also seem to be sometimes like a weakened question, like what can the... Oh, a
1: counter, like like what would Carolyn say back to
0: Arnold? Yeah. You You know?
1: know? Uh, but I just, th- this question stem, you know, most support for the claim that Carolyn and Arnold disagree over whether the object described by Quinn as a conceptual portrait of <laughs> Sir John Sulston, what <laughs> the fuck are you even talking about? Yeah. I don't Yeah, have, I have no idea. This is like, all this is going to do is confuse me. And by the way, this is section, uh, this is question number three in the section. Mm-hmm. This should mm-hmm. be a very easy question. Yeah. I feel like reading the question stem first here makes it harder, not easier. But I agree with you. If you glance at it and you go, oh, disagree, okay, good.
0: Yeah. That's fine. Okay, yeah, so we're on the same page there. Okay. Yeah, so let me read this. Uh, The first person talking is Carolyn, and she says, the artist Mark Quinn has displayed behind a glass plate biologically replicated fragments of Sir John Sulston's DNA. Calling it a conceptual portrait of Solsten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what,
1: what, mm-hmm. What, was,
0: what was that like, artist? Uh...
1: Yeah, it's just like, I'm not. I'm rolling my eyes. You know, it's like all right. Yeah, okay. It's a yeah. it's a portrait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. get it. You're yeah. so. You're
0: such a deep thinker. Wow. You're, such a deep thinker. <laughs> you're blowing my mind. <laughs> uh, to all our artist friends out there. Congratulations for somehow making... Yeah,
1: totally. Keep being an artist and never go to law school. It's just so much better. I wish... I mean, that's just such a better call. I wish I would have gone to art school instead of law school a million
0: times over. Um, Yes. Okay. Cool. So then it says, but to be a portrait, something must bear a resemblance... Oh, recognizable resemblance to its subject.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I'd be thinking, okay... That is a common sense understanding of what a portrait is. Yeah. You know, if I asked you to define portrait, you would have said, oh, well, it's like a picture of the person.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And it could be a painting, could be a photograph, could be a sculpture, you know, whatever. But those are, those are, that's what we common sense think of as a portrait. Yeah. So now Carolyn is accepting this very common sense definition of portrait.
0: Yeah, a, a little technical note here. This is the end of Carolyn's uh, argument. She only has two sentences. She tells us what this artist Quinn does and then says, but to be a portrait, something must do something different. In other words, not what this artist did. The Carolyn never actually explicitly says her conclusion, which I think is uh, rare when an argument is being made, but the conclusion here seems to be this is not a portrait and so i think when you're given the opinion of someone else and then you're given evidence that goes against that opinion the obvious implied conclusion is that carolyn disagrees with the person's opinion
1: yeah quinn has said this is a portrait and Mm -hmm. carolyn carolyn also doesn't state that these biologically replicated fragments of dna don't bear a recognizable resemblance to sulston that's right. Right. She didn't actually state that. But we're, we're allowed to, to not be idiots. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're allowed to follow along with what she's saying. And I think we're allowed to accept that, you know, it's not a big stretch to say that biologically replicated fragments of DNA don't actually bear a recognizable resemblance to the subject. Um, yes. I mean, she has necessarily assumed that. She has mm-hmm. necessarily assumed that they don't. Because otherwise her, her statement makes no sense. Yeah, but yeah, she's saying, ah, this. She's assuming this doesn't look like Sulston, and then she accepts the definition of, hey, to be a portrait, it has to bear a recognizable resemblance to Sulston. Therefore, and she doesn't actually explicitly state it, but right, her conclusion is, hey, dude,
0: this is not a portrait. This is not a portrait, and because we now know what her conclusion is, even though it wasn't said explicitly, we also can do exactly what you did, which. It's a nitpicky thing, but I still think that's what the else side is all about. Saying, yeah, assuming this is not a recognizable re- resemblance. You know, you could have someone say that it is, and then we're well. It could be like a you know,
1: piece. you could make someone you could make a portrait out of macaroni pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you could make a a, a recognizable resemblance out of. DNA fragments yeah <laughs> I don't know why not I mean make I'm sense. sure you could right a, a, yeah. a micros- take a microscope blow up what DNA is then take yeah. those pieces and then put them into a collage yeah. I'm sure you could make a recognizable a resemblance yeah out of DNA fragments but we, we understand what Carolyn is saying Carolyn has said this doesn't look like him so it's not a it's not a portrait
0: yeah okay so then Arnold says I disagree whenever the second speaker says I disagree by the way tread cautiously. It's not always the case that the second person is disagreeing with the conclusion of the first person. The second person could be disagreeing with a premise uh, or something else. And so just kind of take that I disagree with a grain of salt. I'm going to assume for a half second that she's disagreeing, that Arnold, sorry, that he's disagreeing with her conclusion, but I'm just not totally sure until I see what his evidence is. Cool. Quinn's conceptual portrait is a maximally realistic portrait. That's the answer. That's the answer? I don't know. Which
1: I mean, they've already disagreed, right? They've explicitly mm-hmm. disagreed.
0: Yes, um, yes.
1: Carolyn says this is not a portrait. Arnold says it's a maximally realistic portrait. Yes. So they definitely disagree about whether this is a portrait.
0: Yep. For, which by the way is a common premise indicator, for it holds Actual instructions according to which Solston was created. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, that's,
1: I mean, that's a definition of, of portrait. It's not a definition that anyone in the world would agree with, but you can define portrait however you want, Arnold. That's fine. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Arnold has, has given a different definition of portrait. They have disagreed on a premise and they
0: have disagreed on the conclusion. Yeah. Okay. So then it says the dialogue provides most support for the claim that Carolyn and Carolyn and Arnold disagree over whether the object described by Quinn, the artist as a conceptual portrait of Sir John Sulston, And then this this just ends. So the answer choices are going to basically complete this sentence. So they disagree over whether the object uh, is what? Is a portrait. Is a portrait. That's exactly what we are predicting. A, should be considered to be art. No, they never talked about that. Neither of them talked about what art is or is not. Yep, B should be considered to be Quinn's work. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's not really Quinn. No, uh, no. They
1: they both seem to accept that this is actually
0: Quinn's work. Yep, okay. C, there is a recognizable resemblance to Solston. Mm, what do you think of this? That's a tricky one. Um,
1: Carolyn definitely disagrees with C. I mean, she she didn't say it explicitly, but she has necessarily assumed that yeah. this uh, quote-unquote portrait does not bear a recognizable resemblance to Salston. So yeah. Carolyn does take an explicit position, uh, not explicit, but an implicit position on C, which is uh, no. Carolyn says no to C. Yeah. Now, yeah. if Arnold said yes to C, then that would be the answer. But Arnold did not say, oh, no, it actually does look, look, it's like a macaroni uh, collage, and it looks just like him. Yeah, That's not what Arnold did. So that yep. means the answer is not C.
0: It is. Uh, I. So I think in practice, when I'm moving pretty fast through these answers, I could see myself crossing out A, crossing out B, leaving C open just because I know Carolyn is so against it, so it's a definite disagree there, and maybe the others are really bad, and so then... I can sort of infer from Arnold's statements that maybe he uh, agrees with that in some way, shape, or form. But this is probably just because I'm moving so fast. And so I would say A is out, B is out, C, uh, I don't like it for the reasons you just said, but it's like I'm not necessarily thinking through all of that as much. Um, Anyways, D contains instructions according to which Solston was created. Arnold definitely talked about this. Carolyn never said anything about it so I would cross this one out and at this point I'd have C open and E open because I hadn't read E yet Uh, any thoughts on D
1: yeah no Carolyn did not say anything
0: about that so we can't pick D yep and then E is actually a portrait of Solston. this is exactly what we predicted so I'd circle E and I'd probably never even look back at C or take the time to cross it out
1: Carolyn said no explicitly to E Mm
0: um or not, uh, not explicitly, uh, <laughs> again, implicitly, <laughs> implicitly sorry. Yeah. But yeah. it's
1: it's clear that Carolyn says no to E. Yeah. And Arnold uh, ex- explicitly said yes to mm-hmm. E. Mm-hmm. And so we have the two speakers disagreeing. We know that the two speakers disagree on E, so E's the answer. Honestly, I don't think I would have crossed out A or B or C or D here mm-hmm. because I knew that the answer was, is actually a portrait. Yeah. I would have scanned. I think I would have my eyes would have been almost immediately on E. I would have picked E I would have
0: moved on. Yeah um, I wonder I, I don't maybe maybe so for this first question, but I do feel like because this is question three, I wonder if I would have done the same thing. I don't know. but I do know that sometimes in these disagree questions or at least for the harder ones, Sometimes I I do feel like I'm picking an answer like C where the one of the people one of the individuals is not so clearly disagreeing or agreeing with it but the others are definitely wrong and so then I'm like well there's some idea that Arnold would disagree with this therefore or agree with this therefore this is correct if that's in the context of other answers that are really bad
1: Yeah I just If I have a strong prediction and I find my strong prediction, I don't need to spend very much time like figuring out exactly why each of the wrong answers are wrong. I'm open to the possibility that this test is easy and this question is easy. I mean, they don't get easier than this. So I think I would have had a really strong prediction and just kind of glance at the answer choices and been like, oh, yeah, definitely E. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think what I, I, I'm not saying that I would want to spend a lot of time thinking about C. I guess I am spending a little more time thinking about A and B by just glancing at them and crossing them off, where you're saying you're not even reading them.
1: No, I would. I, I'm actually sorry, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, would, oh, okay. I would. I just don't think I would be like, I don't think I would have made any pencil marks, I guess is all I'm saying
0: oh I yeah would have been like should no considered I, I art
1: nah considered to be his work nah recognizable nah instruction yeah. Nah. yeah oh actually a portrait that's what i'm looking for boom E.
0: no okay i i actually 100 percent agree with that i definitely find myself doing that especially earlier on in the section
1: when they're easy they're easy you know yeah. i mean the test should feel easy when you're doing it properly especially at the beginning of each section mm-hmm. the test should feel easy if you had a hard time with this question, it's because you didn't read the, the statement closely enough. Yeah. I mean, you should have known exactly what they were disagreeing on. Yep. Okay. Want to do another one?
0: Sure. Let's do four. So, Four says, many corporations have begun decorating their halls with motivational posters in hopes of boosting their employees' motivation to work productively. I'm rolling my eyes again. You know? Yeah, this is great. Oh, God. Success and then a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So however, almost all employees at these corporations are already motivated to work productively. What? Well that's that
1: yeah. is weird. Unlike reality at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So some highly motivated company, which is strange, but okay. So conclusion. These corporations' use of motivational posters is unlikely to achieve its intended purpose.
1: I I understand what they're saying. You know, I'm not an idiot. I get it. But there's a premise, the second sentence, that says almost all employees at the corporations. Which does not mean all. There are some slackers there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And maybe the slackers, because they're not busy working, they're just roaming around the hallway going to get coffee for the 5,000th time. Yeah. Or, you know, like me in my old day jobs, like <laughs> going to lunch at 11 a.m. for three hours. Mm-hmm. As they're on their way out to happy hour or whatever, they're the ones who are. Got their head in the clouds, and they happen to see the success poster on the wall, mm-hmm. and everybody else has their head down and busting their ass and already motivated. But if this slacker sees the poster, maybe the poster will work on them.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I see another problem. Do you okay. see another problem? Um, let's see. Oh,
1: how about even the people who are already motivated to work productively? Yeah. Maybe they could see the success poster and be motivated even more than they
0: already are. Yeah, I was thinking that because of the word boosting. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So we
1: have two reasons to be skeptical here. One is eh, maybe the people who aren't motivated happen to catch the poster and get motivated. Mm -hmm. Two is, hey, all they said they wanted to do was boost their motivation to work productively. The fact that they already are motivated to work productively, it's not a binary thing. Maybe we can increase, boost this productivity. Yeah. Great. Okay.
0: Cool. The reasoning in the argument is most vulnerable to criticism on the grounds that the argument, and then we have our answer choices. So I am betting lots of money that we will see one of these two predictions. It could be something else that we haven't seen yet, but this is simple enough of an argument that I doubt we've missed any other problems. Let's go through them. A, the argument is vulnerable to criticism on the grounds that the argument fails to consider whether corporations that do not currently use motivational posters would increase their I'd employees i stop
1: reading it. Yeah. It's just not about corporations that do not currently use motivational posters. We're talking right. about a different argument here.
0: Talking about these corporations and their intended purpose.
1: Law questions are kind of like a must-be-true question in that we have to say something that is relevant. You know, something that the argument did. Mm-hmm. And I guess if since A starts with fails to consider, mm-hmm. uh, the argument did fail to consider this. Yeah, but it's just not relevant. Who who cares what other corporations do? Yeah, the point is. Are these corporations going to achieve their goal?
0: Yeah. All right. So, the two questions for flaw questions, just to, to um, parse this out, is is this actually happening? And then, is this a problem? And for answer choice A, it is yes, this is happening. But before we even finished reading it, it's like, who cares? So, it's not a problem. Yep. And I'm happy to let go of answer choices pretty
1: quickly, you know, especially on the first time through. Um, Before we started reading this question, A had an 80% chance of being wrong. When I get halfway through it and I already think it's irrelevant, now it has at least an 80% chance of being wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty happy at that point to just cut ties with A and be like, you know, something, something down here is going to match one of our predictions. Let's just move on.
0: Yeah. B, the argument is most vulnerable to the criticism on the grounds that the argument takes for granted... That just means assumes that with respect to their employees' motivation to work productively, corporations that decorate their halls with motivational posters are representative of corporations in general?
1: (laughs) It didn't do that. Corporations in general are not relevant to this argument. The argument is limited to whether these corporations will be likely to achieve their purpose.
0: Yeah, so you just look to the conclusion and see how broad is the conclusion. If the conclusion is narrowly focused, then we don't care about anything outside of that. Answer choice C, the argument is most vulnerable to criticism on the grounds that it fails to consider that even if motivational posters do not have one particular beneficial effect for corporations, they may have similar effects that are equally beneficial.
1: Yeah, it's not the point. Uh, again, the conclusion is limited to whether they will be able to boost their employees' motivation to work productively. Yeah. Um, you know, it might also give them a laugh while they walk down the hallway and go, look at this ridiculous bullshit they're trying to, you know, make us look at. Yeah. The fact that that increased employee morale by letting them laugh at the ridiculous corporation or, you know, any other benefit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it might make them... Think about their family, and that might make them uh, uh, more likely to stay at work or whatever. But those benefits—that's not the point. The point is, does it motivate them to work productively?
0: I think uh, people get tempted by these kinds of answers when they are when they're not clearly identifying the main conclusion. They're they're yeah. thinking that the conclusion is something a little broader, like uh, these posters should be taken down. Yeah, like this is <laughs> a good something. plan
1: yeah we should have these posters yeah you know yeah the 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 corporation they're doing the right thing here it's Mm -hmm. it's not about that i mean you have to read you have to read the actual words Mm -hmm. you know what is exactly their evidence and what is exactly their conclusion
0: yeah all right d the argument is most vulnerable to criticism on the grounds that the argument does not adequately address the possibility that employee producti- productivity is strongly affected by factors other than employees' motivation to work productively. Productively.
1: Yeah. Again, irrelevant. The whole yeah. point of the argument was whether these posters are going to increase motivation to work productively. Yeah. You know, D saying, "Oh, well, there's other things too that make you <laughs> productive." It's like, so what? That's not what we're talking about.
0: Yep. All right, E, the argument fails to consider that even if employees are already motivated to work productively, motivational posters may increase that motivation.
1: Well, you win, Ben. That was exactly your prediction. Um, Yeah. You spotted the word boosting. Yep. And then the argument made the flaw of assuming that motivation is this, uh, you know, yes or no proposition. Yeah. Yeah. And you caught like, well, wait a minute. Maybe they could be motivated even more, yeah, and that's exactly what E says. So we were able to predict the right answer, we were able to avoid A, B, C, and D, and so our answer there is E, pretty easy, I think.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that sometimes happens for students when they start predicting the problem is that they will predict one of the flaws. So if we had just predicted the, the one flaw that you talked about, which is definitely a flaw, and then they don't find that in the answers they sometimes think that their their prediction was not a flaw and what i like to tell them is that no like a lot of these arguments have multiple flaws so what you're doing is still good it's still beneficial it's still getting your mind wrapped around the premises and ultimately the conclusion and why it sucks and i think it primes you to see Uh, other flaws, even if they're not exactly what you had predicted, as long as you are somewhat open to that reality, that there's not necessarily just going to be one flaw and one flaw only. Uh, There could be multiple. And as you read each answer choice, you're thinking, is this a problem? Is this happening? And if it is, then you might want to look back and be like, oh, yeah, this is a flaw as well that I hadn't thought about. But still, the whole process was useful. Yeah,
1: I agree totally with that. Um, One other thing that people do is they start making predictions and they get so attached to their prediction that they won't find exactly their prediction, but they'll pick an answer that has like one word in it Mm, that matches kind of their prediction. You know, like my, my prediction was, um, ah well, but what about the people who aren't motivated to work productively? And they'll, they'll go, I mean, None of these answers said my objection, but they might They might go in and they'll pick an answer that is like, well, yeah, cause I was looking for this and I thought this was the closest to that,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: they'll pick yeah. an answer that doesn't even mean the same thing at all. It's just like they're grasping at straws and they're like, well, but, but this is kind of, it has these same two words, And it's like, no, 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 you, you don't necessarily have to read every single word of all of the wrong answers, but whatever answer you pick, you have to like vouch for it. Yeah. And you have to understand, you have to read and understand every word in whatever answer you're picking. Yeah. And so just because you had a good prediction, you you don't like try to shoehorn that into an answer choice that doesn't even mean what you were predicting. Mm hmm. There's two ways, you know, you have to make those two mistakes in order to miss a question. So there's two ways to avoid missing a question. The two ways, the two mistakes that you have to make is you have to avoid the right answer somehow, right? You have to think that the right answer is wrong, but you also have to pick one of the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. feel like people don't understand that quite enough. They, that they, (laughs) that they have two chances and they just end up like, throwing up their hands almost and just being like well i'll pick this one because it just seems you know it's got this word i like yeah well but what does it mean can you make a case for why this is describing a flaw that was in this argument Mm -hmm. and if you can't sell it to me then you know i'm not i'm not gonna buy it
0: yeah this i i I've uh, encountered this recently. I don't know if it's more just because the classes are just getting started or something, but uh, this this idea of this one word or two word answer, like they they, I'm talking to people. I'm saying, hey, so so why did why do you think B is correct? And they're like, well, it says you know um, incomplete uh, projects, and and it's like, okay, yeah, but when you read the answer as a whole, and for some reason, I don't know, they're like, yeah, but it has those words. I'm, now that you're talking about it, I, I hadn't really thought about it much in class, but I wonder what they're doing as they read the answers. Are, are they scanning the answers and not really reading them? Because as soon as you read the whole answer, you're like, yeah, but this is, this is talking about you know, a totally tangent idea, and the fact that these two words are in here is irrelevant.
1: People don't read, man. They it's it's frustrating, you know. They they I think they're maybe trying to go too fast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They are skimming instead of actually reading. They don't grasp the argument, you know. They just don't know what the argument really said. They don't know what the question really asked. They get down into the answer choices and they just don't even read the whole thing. They latch on to one word that seems like ah oh, yeah this is employee productivity yeah right there. Come on, employee productivity. That's what it's about, right? And it's like, I know, dude, but did you read the entire answer choice? Because the entire answer choice is describing something that didn't even happen in this argument at all. Yeah. You know, it's conclusively wrong. If you would just read the whole thing, you would see that that is not what happened in this argument. Hmm. And, you know, that's not what people do when they're already scoring 160 or above, but this is frequently what people do when they're scoring in the 140s or below, Mm -hmm. Is that I I don't know, it's like they don't understand the level of attention that is required. I'm sorry, you actually have to read it. You do. You have to read it and you have to understand it.
0: Yeah, I think part of this is probably coming from uh, the whole time pressure thing. I think I hear from low scores much more frequently than from high scores. Uh, I just took the test. I only did two-thirds of the section. And my number one problem is finishing. Right. And it's like, no, that's not your number one problem. And ironically, other people who are scoring very high and maybe you're leaving two or three questions on the table consistently, they're not saying my number one problem is finishing. I mean, obviously, they're closer to finishing, but... They recognize that their problem is really to try to understand the passage. And so in an effort to go fast, right from the get-go, right from when they start studying, they, they never really engage. And it's like, well, engaging is going to slow you possibly way down. You're going to spend a lot of time thinking about simple, logical reasoning questions, kind of like we've talked through these. But if you can do that, it doesn't take very long for your mind to start going, okay, I know what you want to do and I can do it now and I can start taking over and I'm going to tell you what's wrong with this argument before you're done reading it. But you can't get to that point if you never think through the steps or think through the process.
1: Yeah. If, you know, anybody can go fast and miss all the questions, it's just not hard to go fast and miss all the questions. And Mm -hmm. almost always that's what people are doing. You know, yeah, my problem is speed. My problem is speed. And your hypothetical student who did two thirds of the questions, and they think they need to finish the next third of the questions, and I go, "How many did you get right?" And they got like half of the questions that they attempted right. Mm-hmm. Your problem is accuracy. Your problem is not speed. Your problem is accuracy. One hundred percent. Yep. You have to stop missing questions. You do not get good LSAT scores by missing questions. That sounds kinda obvious, but you know, they're like, but what about the ones at the end of the section? I mean, I didn't even attempt those. I'm gonna miss those almost all the time. Like, yeah, you are. You know, but you're also gonna get one out of five of them right without spending any time on those questions. And instead we're gonna invest that time back into these earlier, easier questions, which we know we can get right if we just slow down and, and, and focus on getting them right.
0: And and our end goal is to get you to finish, but <laughs> that's after you start getting the ones you're doing right. And that's the fastest way to get to the point where you're finishing and getting them correct.
1: Yeah. If you don't get five out of the first five, you're not going to get like a one hundred and seventy. Yeah. It's almost as simple as that. I mean, now someone is going to go, Oh, that's bullshit, Nathan, because I missed, I did a whole section the other day and I got all 24 of them right. And I, the only one I missed was number three. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But most of the time that student also gets five out of the first five, right? vast majority almost yeah. every single time they're going to get yeah. five out of the first five right okay fine i understand there can be outliers shut up i know but the goal i think for most students i've been saying this a lot in class lately let me know if you what you think ben you can share it if you like it um yeah i've been saying five out of the first five nine out of the first 10 13 out of the first 15 and 17 out of the first 20 mm-hmm. and depending on your level you know 17 out of the first 20 might be a stretch for a lot of people yeah. But if you can't get um if you can't get 5 out of the first 5, you're probably not going to get 9 out of the first 10. If you mm-hmm. can't get 9 out of the first 10, you're probably not going to get 13 out of the first 15. Yeah. And so that's like everybody needs to build that foundation. If you're mm-hmm. not building that foundation, then I don't give a shit how many questions you attempt. Yeah. Cuz it's like if you're missing 2 out of the first 10 or 3 out of the first 10, that's not a way to get to 170. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. The, the really high scorers have long, long strings of correct answers. You know, like the first one you miss on the section is like number 19. Mm-hmm. That's how you get to 170. Yep. And, and if you do that, if the first one you miss is 19, and then you get 20, 21, and 22 correct, it doesn't even matter if you do 23 through 25. Yeah. So anyway, I I, I found that maybe useful for people to think about to be really clear, you know, five out of the first five, nine out of the first 10, 13 out of the first 15. If you're not doing that, then why not? Yeah. And, and really dig into those mistakes, those ones that you're missing earlier in the section, like what's going on here? How do we stop that?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. No, I like those numbers a lot. They are 100% consistent with what I've been saying, but not in maybe as clear of a way. So I will steal that. I, Look at people's results in the score tracker that we use in class and that score tracker allows them to remove questions that they completely guessed on so that they get their official score as well as their accuracy score. And so I can look at their percentage, correct? So it might say in the games, for example, that they got 10 wrong, but it actually says under their accuracy that they got 14 out of 15 so that I can look at that and say, "Oh, you're doing you're going through the games in the right way," you know? And the percentages pop up next to their accuracy and so you can see anywhere from like 43% accuracy to 90 or 100% accuracy. And so I'm always telling people, "Look, if your accuracy rates are below 85%, you probably went too fast." And so you need to work on bringing that up to at least 85% or 80%, somewhere in that range, and then then worry about trying to do more questions in the section. Even yeah. then, I'd like to see it higher if, you, if possible. But those numbers, what you said, is exactly what I'm saying, because 5 out of 5 is 100%, which makes sense for the first 5 since they're easy. 9 out of 10 is 90%, which is makes sense because those are easier but not necessarily the easiest
1: there can be an outlier hard you know question number seven or whatever in there you might glitch out and miss one of them somehow there might be some little fundamental thing that you don't understand about the way the test works you know you still want to figure out why you missed that one yeah but but nine out of the first 10 is a kind of achievable goal that you
0: can reach for Mm -hmm. and 13 out of 15 is 86 percent correct and 17 out of Twenty is eighty-five percent correct. So, like, we are saying the exact same thing. But I really like the uh, the concrete uh, visualization there.
1: Yeah, and then the other thing I do is, you know, because I do timed sections in class, like every night, and so I'll have them do a section of logical reasoning, and then I'll say, I'll read the answer key, and then I'll say, okay, well, let's talk about the mistakes you've made. You know, we're searching here for five out of the first five, uh, nine out of the first ten. 13 out of the first 15, et cetera. Let's start with five out of the first five. If you missed a question in the first five, then that's what we need to talk about mm-hmm. because that's the easiest thing to fix. Mm-hmm. And it's a mm-hmm. fundamental mistake you're making, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be making these mistakes. Yeah. So let's talk about it. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make them, I'll make someone in the room say, okay, let's do number four, you know? <laughs> and it's like, good glad, I'm glad, you know, if you're not willing to admit that you fucked up question number four then it's there's no point in talking about question number 19. Because what I Mm -hmm. used to do is just say, hey, what questions do you want me to review? And Mm -hmm. then somebody who I'm sure missed questions in the first five or ten is like man, number 21 just made no sense whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And then I start
1: teaching number 21 which is like over the heads of 75% of the class. Yeah. And so it's probably a little bit boring for the highest scorers in the class, but I'm I hope that they understand that what we're doing is just building a really solid foundation, and that if you can build that super solid foundation of getting mm-hmm. them almost all right in the first five and ten, then you're going to be in a better position to get the ones in the teens and even maybe someday the ones in the twenties. Yeah. So that's what I do now is I take questions in the first five for a minute, and then I'll take questions in the first ten and then I'll open it up to the first 15. Mm-hmm. And then I'll open it up to the first 20. And what I'm doing there is I'm trying to like make it not so shameful for people to say the low numbers. People are always ashamed like no one ever wants to ask about question number 1, right? Yeah. Yeah. But please, please if you missed question number 1, that is absolutely what we should be talking about.
0: Mhm. You know. Or even if you understand why the correct answer is correct, at the very least maybe talk about why you think you messed it up two minutes ago or 30 minutes ago or whatever. Like what was your approach that maybe messed you up? Maybe you read the question first or <laughs> or something like that and got thrown off and yeah. then just figure out that.
1: Let's talk about why you're making this mistake. And, and even when it's like, oh, well, the people just kind of, I see them all the time, like literally slap themselves up, upside the head mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, geez, I misread that. Well, okay. I, I, yeah, I get it. But, you know, you also picked a wrong answer. You also didn't pick the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Let's get maybe a little bit deeper than just I misread it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. was there, could there have been a safety mechanism here? Could you have saved yourself from making this mistake? Yeah. Um, one, obviously you need to slow down. Mm -hmm. But let's dig into that mistake a little bit more deeply and see if we can figure out how to stop making that mistake.
0: Maybe even though it's question one, that person needs to start crossing off answer choices more deliberately or something, you know, who knows?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it's just the proof is on the answer key. I mean, did Mm -hmm. you get them right or did you not get them right? Mm Because you can't get a good LSAT score by missing questions. You know, you just have to stop missing those questions. Mm -hmm. And I think we can get there, but we have to be kind of, you know, stay within ourselves and we have to fix the easy mistakes first. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It seems like it's been kind of, you know, getting through to people in class. So I look forward to seeing the results from that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's it for today. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, no, I think we're
1: good. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. It's feeling like it might be almost time to do another reading comprehension passage. What do you think about that?
0: Sure. Yeah, I I think it'd be good.
1: Tease that for next time. We'll come back and do another reading comprehension uh, passage. I thought our last discussion on reading comprehension was really helpful. People have said that it was helpful, so it's probably time to do another one.
0: No, I think it's good to work through uh, the passage and how to think about reading it. And um, I'm excited to do it. So you can always email us questions in the meantime at help at com. You can email me directly at ben at strategyprep.com or nathan at foxlsat.com. You can also tweet nathan at nfox. Is that right? Yep, yep, at nfox. At, yep, you could tweet me if you want. It's sort of an effort in futility. <laughs> But uh, it exists. It might just go out. I'll see it for sure. But I'm not the best at uh, responding to Twitter at Strategy Prep. Let's see. Is there anything else that we need to say?
1: Tweet the show at Thinking LSAT if you didn't already say that. the
0: show itself. (laughs) Yeah. And then we can also find episodes, by the way, on our blog or ask questions on the blog if you just go to ThinkingLSAT.com. Uh, that's a, an interesting source of, uh, questions there too. Yeah.
1: An easy way to help the show if you haven't done so already is to just go into iTunes and, uh, you know, click the five star rating if, if you think we're worth it. Um, you could also, if you wanted to jot down a little review, I know you're probably bombarded with requests to do that sort of thing all over the place but uh if you're a fan and you have found us helpful that is a way that you can uh, give back to the show and help other people find us
0: yeah for sure thanks
1: all right buddy i think that's it um we will be back in two weeks
0: yeah or, or will we, will we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally not scripted awesome <laughs> all right cool all right buddy, talk to you next time